the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Matthew. Don't become callous and don't become resentful. Just keep persevering and serving the Lord. But don't start whining and say, you know, I've been a Christian for 35 years and, and, and this person here, they get saved on their deathbed and they get to go to heaven and I've been serving and changing diapers in the nursery and shaking hands and I don't even like to shake, hand, shake hands because I'm a germaphobe and every time I shake hands at the front door of the church, I got to wash down with Purex and all of this kind of stuff, you know. Don't get callous and hard-hearted. Just be thankful that people get saved into the kingdom. It doesn't matter early in life or late in life. Just be thankful that we're all going to heaven who know Jesus. In today's message, Pastor Gary will warn you not to become calloused as the years go on by. Many people have been saved quite recently, while others have been saved for many years. No matter the case, it's important to persevere in your ministry. As the years go by, people will come and go. Some will leave and some will go home to be with Jesus. But we have to trust the Lord's timing. He has each of us here for a time and for a purpose. We'll go home to be with Jesus at the right time and not a minute sooner. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. You will be richly rewarded to a much greater degree than what you've ever felt like you've sacrificed for the Lord. That he takes note, and then he adds at the end of this, verse 30, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And we've talked about a couple of weeks ago some of the great paradoxes of the Gospels and what Jesus says sometimes goes against conventional ways of thinking. But he talks here about being last, that you might be first, because if you try to position yourself for first, uh, you'll be last. Chapter 20, now notice this is, this is a chapter break in our Bibles, but it is not a break of the chain of thought. Uh, chapters and verses were added centuries later, like in the 13th century AD. Uh, so when you're sometimes reading the Bible, don't think new thought, new theme, just because we're going to a new chapter. This is directly related to this conversation. They're like, well, you know, we've sacrificed a lot. What are we going to get? And he's like, you know what? You haven't sacrificed anything uh, that you won't be richly rewarded for. And then he's going to give them a parable to illustrate some things. So verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. 
About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing there all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So he repeats that paradoxical statement there, and he's using this parable to illustrate that truth. So he talks in terms here of a vineyard and a landowner. Now, the vineyard is the kingdom. The landowner is God, the Father. And he's painting this picture to help them understand that the workers are our lives. It's people. And this landowner goes, and he, uh, he, he goes to hire some workers, some day laborers in his vineyard. And it says that he goes out early in the morning. It literally translates at dawn. So this is probably 6 a.m. He goes out probably 6 a.m. And he hires some, uh, some workers to come work in his vineyard. And he promises that he'll pay them each a denarius. A denarius was a single day's wage. And it was adequate, substantial pay for that day uh, in, in which we're talking here. Well... He needs more workers in the vineyard. So he goes out again. It tells us in verse 3 about the third hour. That's 9 a.m. because they, they started counting in, in terms of sunrise. So uh, probably 6 a.m. is daybreak. 9 a.m. would be the third hour. He goes out again at 12 noon uh, because that's the sixth hour in verse 5. And then again in the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m. And finally the eleventh hour, verse 6, which is 5 p.m. So this landowner goes out, hires people. He, he, he notices that there's some people who need some employment. Uh, and so 6 a.m. he hires a bunch, goes back, hires more at 9 a.m., goes back, hires some more at 12 noon, hires some more at 3 p.m., hires more at 5 p.m. Now it's pay time at the end of the day. And, and, and so the, the landowner is going to pay the workers the ones who started working last first. And he, and he gives them each a denarius. Now, if you're hired at 5 p.m. and quitting, day, quitting time is 6 p.m. and you've only worked an hour and you get a whole day's pay, you're jumping up and down for joy. But not so much for the 6 a.m. guys. 6 a.m. people who were hired, they're like, hey, 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 hey. Hey, you know, we worked the whole day too. And at first, they're thinking to themselves, the story tells us, well, if those guys who only worked an hour are going to get a full day's wage, and we've worked a whole day, we're going to really rake in the dough tonight. But when they go to get their hand out, they only get a denarius, a full day's wage, which is what they were promised. 
So they haven't been ripped off because the landowner gave them exactly what the landowner promised them. You work a day, I'll give you a day's wage. And it's up to the discretion of the landowner to pay the other workers whatever he wants. He's the landowner. Now, if you're 6 a.m. hired, you think the landowner is unfair. If you're 5 p.m. hired, you think the landowner is generous. Same landowner, paying the same amount, but it depends on your perspective. And here's what Jesus is trying to say. As far as it relates to the kingdom and and being born again and, and coming into salvation, some of you accepted Christ early in life. You're 6 a.m. people. Others of you get saved later in life. You're, five, you're, you're maybe 3 p.m. people. Or you know people who, who receive Christ on their deathbed. They're 5 p.m. people. And, and yet, the same reward is for all, no matter when you got saved. Now, there's a caution here to those who got saved early in life. Because you know what they complain when they come to the landowner? They say, well, hey, verse 12, we have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. And there's this caution here to those who have been saved early in life. Don't become callous and don't become resentful. Just keep persevering and serving the Lord. But don't start whining and say, you know, I've been a Christian for 35 years. And, and, and this person here, they get saved on their deathbed and they get to go to heaven. And I've been serving and changing diapers in the nursery and shaking hands. And I don't even like to shake, hand, shake hands because I'm a germaphobe. And every time I shake hands at the front door of the church, I got to wash down with Purex. And all of this kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> don't get callous and hard-hearted. Just be thankful that people get saved into the kingdom. It doesn't matter early in life or late in life. Just be thankful that we're all going to heaven who know Jesus. And the Lord is generous in this regard. Now, there's some great principles here because one of the things that Jesus is saying to us through this parable is is that God did not treat anyone unfairly. He just chose to treat some generously. He wasn't being unfair. He was actually being generous. The other thing to note here from this story is that God rewards people according to his will and pleasure, not necessarily according to what they deserve. And that's what grace is all about. God, God, in His infinite wisdom and His good pleasure, can richly bless anyone He wants. It is not that He's unfair to others. It's that He's generous to whomever He chooses to be generous. Summarize it this way. The law is about we get what we deserve. But grace is about God deals with us according to who He is, not according to who we are. And if truth be told, we always love the law for other people, just not ourselves. You know, God give this person what they deserve. You know, they've wronged me, they've ripped me off, they're mean, they're, 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 they, they shouldn't be going to heaven, and so, Lord, just give them what they deserve. But me? Oh, Lord, please, don't give me what I deserve, just give me your grace. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, you're so good to me. Not them, but you're so good to me. Get this guy, but you're so good to me. And so Jesus is trying to remind us of these things that um, thankfully we're under grace and not law. Otherwise, we would get what we deserve. But he is generous and he blesses and he takes care of us. And that's the goodness of grace. So 
The last will be first, first will be last. Don't be resentful, don't be bitter. Be thankful that God is generous. None of us deserves his generosity. None of us deserves his goodness. None of us deserves his forgiveness and his blessing. But God has done a wonderful work in the hearts of people. Some people get saved early in life. Some people get saved at the last minute. But those who know Jesus, we all get to go to heaven. It doesn't matter early in life or late in life. We're just all thankful that he's made the way through Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, let's carry on a little bit. I still have some more time here. So, verse 17. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them. And by the way, this is not the first time because... Just in the margin of your Bible, you can write chapter 16, verse 21. It tells us that he also told them the same thing, but here's what he says. It says, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. And Jesus will periodically let his disciples know of his impending crucifixion. They don't get it, but he's going to still tell them. And they won't even understand it until after he's been crucified. But nevertheless, along the way, Jesus is dropping little breadcrumbs to make them realize, okay, this, this is the trail here. This is where I'm going. I'm going to end up on the cross. Gentiles are going to betray me. I'm going to be cru- crucified in the hands of sinful men uh, by the Gentiles. The chief priests uh, and, uh, and the teachers of the law will betray me. They'll flog me. They'll crucify me. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Now, it gives no commentary in this particular time, but in other places, the the disciples are like, yeah, whatever. Uh, They don't get it. They don't comprehend it, uh, but they pretend they do. Now, let's just go through this next section because this is where it relates to the thrones. And this this is a funny passage here, okay? This is a funny passage. Now, it says in verse 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that would be James and John, these are apostles of Jesus, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Just a small little tiny request, Jesus. And he says, you don't know what you're asking, he said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. (laughs) And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. Now, we'll we'll pause there because the other ten are going to jump in here, the other ten disciples. So this is a funny story. So picture mommy, okay, coming to Jesus, and she's kneeling down. Now, the Bible says here she comes with her son, so James and John, on each side of her. So probably mom's kneeling and James and John. These are full-grown men, okay? They're not 10 years old. These are full-grown men that have been hand-selected by Jesus, and they're standing probably one on each side of mommy, and there she is kneeling in front of Jesus. Jesus. You know my boys, don't you, James and John? They are such good boys. Oi, vey. Such good Jewish boys. Please let one of them sit at your right and one at your left. Because, you know, they're picturing the the thrones. you got six on each side of Jesus. But now the question is, who's going to be closest? And here comes mommy. How embarrassing. 
Not to these guys, though. They just seem to be drinking this up. But can you remember the day? I mean, especially guys, okay? I can remember the day. High school freshman. Can't drive yet. Mom's driving me to high school. Okay? I said, Mom, why don't you pull off a few blocks early? I'll walk the rest of the way. She's like, a few blocks early? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why do you want me to pull a few I mean, I'm driving you. We'll just go into the school park. No, just pull off here. I'll walk the rest of the way. Because there comes this point in a, in a guy's life where he just doesn't want mommy to be around. Just kind of want to come into my own. So I just, you know, there was this distinct moment I remember for me as a freshman in high school. I was just like, okay, mom, you know, I'll just walk the rest of the way. And, and it translates to everything else, too. You know, I just don't, you know, you, you just start. But anyway, my point is, here are two full-grown men. Don't seem to mind. Maybe it's the times in which they were living. Maybe it's the Jewish culture that, you know, there's a special bond here that they don't seem to mind. But they're standing right there because it tells us in verse 20 that they came to Jesus with her sons. And she says, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other to the left in your kingdom. And he says, you don't, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're saying. You have, you have no idea what you're saying. He said to them. So they're hearing all of this. He says, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Now he's referring to the cup of suffering. He's talking about his own impending crucifixion. And he knows this is going to be anguish. This is going to be horrible. It's going to be horrific. I'm going to suffer. So he says to them, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? They should have said, what cup? That's what they should have said. What cup are you talking about? But instead they just said, we can. (laughs) Yes, we can. Now, maybe privately they looked at each other and like, what do you think he's talking about? <laughs> but it's not in the text here. And they just like, yes, we can. Yes. Yes, we can. And Jesus says, well, it, actually, you will drink this cup. And the truth is that James and John, James is going to be the first apostle martyred for his faith. It's recorded in Acts chapter 12. That King Herod Agrippa I... The Bible says in Acts 12, I think it's verse 2, will put James to death with the sword. In other words, he will behead James. James will die a martyr's death. He will, in fact, drink the cup, but he has no clue at this moment. John, his brother, John the Apostle, will be the only apostle out of the twelve who is not martyred per se, but he lives a martyred life. Because when he's elderly, around the age of 90... He will be banished to the island of Patmos by the Roman emperor Domitian, where he will receive the revelation of Jesus Christ, and he will pen the words of revelation. But tradition, church tradition, we don't have a biblical account, church tradition says that the apostle John, they tried to martyr him, and they threw him into a cauldron of boiling oil, and he came out unscathed. We don't know that as a biblical fact, but church history tells us that traditionally that's what happened to John. He came out unscathed and then was later banished to this prison camp on the island of Patmos where it wasn't just sitting under a palm tree writing the book of Revelation, but it was a prison camp of hard labor. You're 90 years old and you're lugging buckets of rocks and working hard for the Roman Empire 
And then he will end up leaving Patmos, and again, church history says that he will probably die in Ephesus at a ripe old age of somewhere around 95 to 98. Uh, but he will live a martyr's life, and Jesus basically says to them, yeah, you're, you're going to end up suffering in some way for me, though they surely had no idea at that time what was in store for them. Then it says in verse 24 that when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And I don't think for a moment they were mad that those guys said what they did. I think they were mad that they didn't think to get to Jesus first. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm convinced of it. They're just like, oh, you, you got to him first. We wanted to ask about being on the right or left. Because back in chapter 18, first four verses of chapter 18, it tells us they were arguing on the road who was the greatest. So you know that they all have this mindset because it says that they were arguing about who was the great. And they asked Jesus, who's the great? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Because they're thinking about themselves. And Jesus called them together and he said this. This is very important and we'll close here. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I think we can all recognize that there is this mindset in our culture and in our world that if you want to get ahead, you step over everybody and anybody you can for yourself, and you get ahead that way. You promote self, you put self forward, you always want to be first, and somehow if you just push yourself forward then you'll be rewarded, noted, promoted, and whatever. And Jesus comes along, and again, this is very antithetical to the way that we commonly will think because of the way that the culture mindset is. Jesus says, now listen, this is what God likes to do. He likes to promote people who are humble. God likes to promote people and bless people who recognize the importance of being servants, that you will humble yourself and you will put others first, And you will honor them and serve them and you will humble yourself. And in that spirit of humility, then the Lord will do his good work in your life to open opportunities and to bless you and to promote you because God humbles the proud, but he exalts the humble is what the Bible says. And we have to learn this principle that what God esteems are those who want to become great would really be servants of all. And Jesus models it for us. He's not telling them or us to do anything that he didn't do himself. He takes off his outer garment, wraps it around his waist like a towel, and he washes his disciples' feet. The creator of the universe is washing his own disciples' feet to show them his own humility. And then as if that weren't enough, he's nailed to a cross to show his suffering servitude in honor of us because of his love for us. So the next time you have an opportunity to find out how can I serve my spouse, how can I serve my friends, how can I serve my employees, how can I serve my employer, look for those opportunities to be vessels that Jesus would be honored through because you model and exemplify a servant's heart. Anybody can be proud. And there's enough pride in every single one of us that it has to be beaten down every once in a while. But what God wants of us is to be servants like Jesus. To be servants like Jesus. To serve others and to think of others first and to put others first. And then God's going to take care of you. 
And Jesus says, because the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been walking us through the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. This unique perspective on Jesus' life gives you a glimpse into the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the true King above all kings. Jesus' greatest act while on earth was to give His life to pay for the sins of every person, and that includes you. If you're ready to step away from your mistakes and failures and embrace a new life, Jesus is ready for you. His grace is enough. You can come to Him no matter what your past looks like. Would you like someone to pray with you? Or do you have some more questions? We'd love to talk to you. Please connect with us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd love to meet you, too. You're invited to join us this weekend at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg. We're meeting in person as well as online. And you can find all the information you need on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. There, you can also hear additional messages from the series in Matthew or others that Pastor Gary has shared. Again, that website is cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know